Amen. Good morning. It's so wonderful to see you all here this morning. Thank you for being here. We're so very glad to have our visitors with us. You're a blessing, and we're so glad to have you in our presence, and we're so very thankful to have those who are joining us uh, online. We appreciate you being with us this morning, and uh, we want you to know whether you're here in person as a member, as a visitor, or online, that we're always here for you if there's any way we can serve you. Do you have any secrets that you keep? Do you know somebody's secrets that somebody told you? Anybody want to share somebody else's secret? We're going to take some time to do that. Go ahead, raise your hand. I came across this story. A happy couple of over 60 years shared everything with each other. They never kept a secret from each each other except for one. The lady kept a shoebox in her cupboard and asked her husband to never open it. For years they never talked about it, but the husband sometimes used to wonder what was inside the box. One day the lady got very sick and she lost hope to recover. The lady did not want to keep any secrets from her husband anymore and asked him to get the box out of her cupboard. When the husband brought the box, she asked him to open the box. The husband opened the box and found two crocheted dolls and a stack of money worth $95,000. The husband was curious about the contents of the box and asked her about it. She said, when we were married, my grandmother told me the secret for a happy married life was to avoid arguments. And if I ever get angry with you, then I should keep quiet and just crochet a doll. The old man was relieved and happy to see that there were only two crocheted dolls in the box. The two crocheted dolls meant his wife was just angry with him two times during all their married life. Then he said, dear, that explains the dolls, but what about the money in the box? Where did that come from? Oh, she smiled and said, that's the money I made from selling all the other dolls. (laughs) Maybe they should have found a better way to work things out. I don't know. But as we finish the book of Philippians today, Paul is going to tell us his secret. Paul has a secret, but he's not trying to keep it to himself. He's not put it in a box in a cupboard where he's not trying to let anybody know. He wants everybody to know his secret, and that's what we're going to look at today in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I, Not that I am speak, seeking, speaking of being in need, or for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. 
Now that I seek the gift, but I, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now in Philippians 1.5, he started expressing his thankfulness for their partnership with him in the gospel. And now at the end of the letter, he picks up, in verse 10, he picks up this same thought of his thankfulness for their partnership. And now he's thanking them for their financial support that he's given them. And so for some reason, though, he says, uh, he, he lets us know the Philippians have not been able to support him. They hadn't been able to make a, a contribution, to give an offering. And we don't know why. We don't know if because they lost touch over the course of his missionary journeys. We don't know if because of extreme poverty, which had been written about, uh, they were just simply unable to. There was nothing to give. Or perhaps they didn't have anybody who could travel to, to find where he was and take a gift that they had. But for whatever reason, they were now able to revive, as he says, revive their support for him. And then in verses 11 through 12, Paul wanted the Philippians to understand something really important. He said that their gift uh, that they sent him from Epaphroditus meant a lot to him. But what was more important to him, what meant more than the financial uh, gift, was their concern for him. And so that's something that we see here that's important, it's, that it's it's not, we don't see the emphasis on the money, on the offering. We see the emphasis on the concern for the work of God. Do you see that? And so uh, Paul also seems to take great care so that they don't get too worried about his condition. He, he, he wants them to know he's okay, that right now he doesn't need anything else. He, doesn't, he never wanted to be a burden to anybody, although he greatly appreciates their concern as well as uh, their support. And then he writes, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. What does it mean to be content? We might say that it means to be satisfied, to be pleased, or to be appeased. But think about contentment because it's not uh, complacency or some kind of false peace where you know things are bad but you're pretending like you're living in la-la land as if they're not. That's not what contentment is. It's not pretending circumstances are good when they're bad. It's not just trying to see the positive side to every problem. It's not denying reality. That's not contentment. But it's interesting, there's when you, when you see in English throughout the New Testament, different words used, different times authors use the word contentment, uh, there's different Greek words. In this particular time when Paul, and he wrote about this in other places, but in this particular time, he uses a word that combines two words 
to mean self-sufficient. So he takes the normal word for contentment, but he adds this other word that means self, and he's saying self-sufficient. Now, at first, that doesn't sound right, that that's the way he should say that, or we don't understand why he would say it that way. But it was used to describe the person who, through discipline, had become independent of external circumstances. And they discovered within themselves the resources that they were, so that they were more adequate than they thought for any situation. So why then, we still don't understand, would Paul say that he was self-sufficient, that he was content, meaning self-sufficient? Well, let's think. He had been through a lot of suffering because of his faith. If we look back to 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 27, he wrote, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul had been through some stuff. Because of his faith. He had learned to not depend on what the external circumstance of life is because you're going to go through all different kinds. He had been there and done that. But still, why would he say that he was content, meaning self-sufficient? Well, look at verse number 12. And in verse number 12 he writes, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So he knows some secret that he's learned. And that word for secret there implies some kind of mystery. There's some mystery there. And yet he's not going to hold this secret back. He's going to let us know because somehow he'd been able to go through the highs and lows of life, the ups and downs of life, and be content no matter what the situation. The situation. So how has he been able to weather these storms in life? Well, the secret that Paul is going to tell us is what one author called the only secret we need. And he says it in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's Paul's secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret is out. But the problem is, is how often is it misunderstood? Because oftentimes we hear that verse used and it's, I can do all things. I can, I can score that touchdown. I can, I can land that job. I can get that raise. I can accomplish that thing or whatever I wish is going to happen. And that's how it's used in kind of this positive thinking way. But that's not the context of what Paul is talking about. I can do all things. That I, does that just mean I can achieve and do whatever? I can? If you can dream it, you can achieve it? Is that what Paul's saying? That doesn't sound like what he recorded in 2 Corinthians 11. 
That doesn't sound like what he's talking about throughout his letter when he's talking about joy and suffering and in the immediate context here. So what does Paul mean? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It says him, but Christ isn't in the Greek. It says him, but we know that he's talking about Christ. But Paul understood that the circumstances of life could change at any moment. You're not guaranteed the next second. You have no idea what's going to happen in the next moment of your life. But none of the circumstances in his life defined and determined who he was. So no matter what happened in the world around him, even no matter what happened in his own mistakes that he made, his own sin, his own shortcomings, he said, I can do all things no matter what happens through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Now, he wasn't in denial of reality. Of, uh, he wasn't in denial of what life would throw at you. He was well aware of the good and the bad. But his secret was that no matter what was going on, he could make it through if he was holding on to the hand of Jesus. That was his secret. And he's not trying to keep it to himself. He wrote it down so that we could have it today. The Greek says it like this. I have it there on the screen. All things I am strong for in the one who strengthens me. Do you see how that, just reading it in the word order of the Greek, helps us understand what Paul's saying? All things I am strong for. I can make it through anything in the one who strengthens me. So what is Paul saying? I can make it through whatever life throws at me. And we've got people in our own congregation right now where life has thrown some terrible, tough stuff at them, right? Can you say amen? We've got some people going through some stuff right now. Some of it we know about. Some of it we're praying about. Some of it is more private that maybe only they know or only a few people. And it's all different kinds of things that people are going through. But in our own congregation, people are going through some tough stuff. And Paul's message to us now, the same message back then is you can make it if you're holding on to the hand of Christ. You can make it because you're strong enough if Christ's strength is in you. And he said, because I'm holding on to the hand of Jesus, I can walk through this mess. I can get through this storm. I can make it through what I'm going through uh, because he, it's him who strengthens me. Now, the word strengthens there that he uses is the verb form of the word dunamis, which when Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God to save. That same word, we talk about the gospel is the dunamis or the dynamite of God. He uses the same word here. And he said that this, this strength, him who strengthens me, that's, the power, that's where we get the word dynamite. That's that same word we get dynamite from. And so Paul is saying that he can be content, he can be self-sufficient in life situations because of the power of Jesus in him. That's what he's saying. See, that's something we got to recognize. But we try to go through storms of life based on our own power, our own uh, uh, intelligence, our own ability, our own uh, uh, positive thinking or whatever it might be. And Paul's saying, you can't make it through the things like that. You can only make it through if you're holding on to Christ and if his strength is in you. And that's how Paul did it. And this is a guy who's been through far more than any of us have been through. And yet he made it. So when Paul said 
that he was content and used uh, that word, that word that meant self-sufficient. He wasn't saying that he was self-sufficient because of his own strength. That's not what he said. So now we're going to understand better why he used that word. He's saying he was self-sufficient because of Jesus' strength in him. And so being in Christ was his secret. That's what his secret is. That's what he wants you to know. Being in Christ and the strength you get from Christ is his secret. The secret Paul discovered is what God wants every Christian to know. And that is deliverance from dependence on things and circumstances. And as human beings in this visual, physical world that we can touch, smell, see... We, we depend on the, the things that we can touch, feel, and the, the external circumstances. Uh, we get dependent on, those, dependent on those things. And he's saying deliverance from dependence on things and circumstances, but complete dependence on Christ. Self-sufficient in Christ. Not relying on myself, relying on Christ. But a person who's not in Christ cannot know that self-sufficiency in Christ because it's only found in Christ. So it can only be found, it can only be had and gained by the Christian, the one who's in Christ, the one who has put on Christ in baptism. You see, uh, uh, what people tend to do is try to do all things, as he said there, but do it through money and education and science and hard work and, and, and positive thinking. But ultimately, these will all fail you. None of these will help you ultimately get through all the things of life and then on to eternity because they're not strong enough. They will all fail. Only the strength of Christ will help us through things. So Paul's uh, satisfaction in life wasn't based on outward situations. His contentment wasn't based on outward circumstances, whatever they might be. And if I control those, then I can be happy. Then I can feel good. Then I can can feel uh, uh, self-sufficient. He said, you can't depend on that. All you can depend on is Christ's strength in you. It was the inward sufficiency of Christ. His secret was that Jesus was his source of his strength to make it through whatever he was going through. Do you see that? And that's what he wants us to understand. That's the same source he wants for us today. And that's why Back from last week in verses 6 through 7, Paul could write, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he knew the secret was that he got his strength from Jesus if he was holding on to the hand of Jesus. And it didn't matter how hard the wind blew. It didn't matter how hard the storms hit his boat. He could make it through with the strength of Christ. And that's, that's an important message for us today. Paul said, because of that strength, I can, I can take my requests and my troubles and my trials to God in prayer. And I can thank him for getting me through these things. And I can thank him for his strength and for being self-sufficient in the strength of Christ. And then I have that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And that's that peace that guards my heart and my mind. Now, then we move on to verse number 17 where Paul gets back to talking about their offering that they gave. 
Look at verse number 17. He writes, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Do you see that? So he zeroes in on something about giving that we need to understand. There are many ways as a member of a local congregation you need to be giving. You give of your time in service. And serving and being involved in different ways. You give of yourself to help in various ways as needed. So there's multiple ways to give, ways that the member should be giving. One of the many ways a member should be giving is financially to support the work of the church. And Paul is talking about that right now. And so uh, we give in our time and our service, but we also give financially. Uh, And so Paul is saying that when you give, you are also gaining. not just handing over money that isn't doing anything, that doesn't mean anything, you're gaining from your active participation in the work of the, of the Lord there in that congregation. Your giving not only helps further the gospel, not only helps further the kingdom of God in that location and abroad, your giving also is credit to you. In other words, God sees that. God sees your sacrifice. God sees your of money. Because that's the hardest thing sometimes for us to let go of is our money. And remember, Jesus said, where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. So it's a sign of where our heart is. When we give to the cause of Christ, when we give to help support the local congregation and the work that the elders have set forth for us to do, then we're showing that our heart is right with God, that our treasures are in heaven, that our heart is on heavenly things because we're putting our money where our heart is and where our treasure is. Does that make sense? And so uh, look at verse number 18. What else does Paul say about their offering? A fragrant aroma. It's an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So when we give generously to the work of the church, it's well-pleasing to God. So I want to ask you, ask you something. Uh, just, just think, have you been giving? And if you have been giving... How has your giving been? Has it been going up to God as a fragrant aroma, a sweet-smelling sacrifice? Is it a well-pleasing sacrifice to God? And if you've not been giving, then think about that. And, and, And think about, what does that say? And are there some things I need to pray about, some things I may not need to maybe work through? Because where am I? My treasure is there, my heart will be also. And if my heart is on heavenly things, and if my heart is for the the cause of Christ, then my money's going to follow. And I'm going to give accordingly to help support the work of the church. You remember in the Old Testament, they gave sacrifices, right? And, And what did God require of them in their sacrifices? He said, Bring the thing that you like the least. Bring the thing that you're going to throw out. Bring the one that you're not going to use, right? No, he said, bring the best of what you have. And so what would be the New Testament application for us in the, in the offering? And, and not just the financial offering. We're talking about in every way that we give. When we give of ourselves in service to the church, bring your best. Don't, don't just say, let me see if I've got something here. Oh, here we go. That, that's not bringing your best. 
And, and when, we say, when, you, when you commit to serve in a certain way, to, to get involved in a ministry, and, and, and you halfway do it, or you back out, or, or we can't count on you. So you see, there's some different ways we've got to bring it to the table and bring God our very best. And someone says, but I can't write that huge check. I, I can't go do 15 things that, that do all of these things for the church. Well, Jesus told us, remember he pointed out to the disciples about the widow who gave all that she had, but it was nothing compared to what everybody else could give, but she gave what she could give. And that's what God is asking of us in keeping with what we're able to within the range of what we can do, but it still needs to be saying to God, look, God, I'm bringing my best to you. Why? Because I have joy in Jesus, because I know what you did for me, because my, my, my heart is set on heavenly things. And so that's how we live our lives, not only in giving financially, but in giving in all of different ways to the cause of Christ. And then look at verse number 19. Remember, he started off saying that it's a, it's a, a fruit that is a credit to you. Look at verse number 19. Then Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, part of when we give of ourselves and give of our resources to the church, to the work of the, the church, we're putting our trust in God to take care of us. And instead of holding on to that and saying, and, and that's, that's easy to do. It's easier to hold on to it. Now, not for everybody, but, but for some of us, man, it's, it's hard to let go of some stuff. Maybe, it's your, maybe some people can let go of their time but not their money. Maybe they can let go of their money but not their time and their help. But whatever it is, we need to think about that in our lives. But what it's doing is showing trust in God. I trust you to provide for me, and after all, you provided salvation for me. And my trust is in you to provide for all my needs as I provide for your work here on earth. See, when I trust God to take care of me, then I, I can give sacrificially in different ways. And I can see that God continues to care for me. And finally, Paul closes in verse 20. He closes this thought with an emphasis that we need to remember. He wraps this up. He sums this up and he says, he says, to God be God and the, our, our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, because of all that I do when I trust in Christ, when I'm content in Christ, when I'm, I'm, I'm strong in Him to go through my storms and I know He's going to take care of me because my trust is in Him and I give of myself and my resources because I trust in Him and my heart is in on heavenly things and the work of the church and, and I know He's going to take care of me. And what does all that do? At the end of the day, my whole life is giving glory to God the Father. And then, then when I die, that's what I'll be remembered for. He gave his all to the glory of God. Isn't that how you want to be remembered? I know that's how I want to be remembered. If there's any way we can help you this morning, the secret is joy in Jesus. That's what Paul's telling us all throughout this letter. The secret is to find your joy in Christ. And if we can help you this morning, we want you to know we're here for you. If you're online, reach out to us. 
If you need to come forward and ask for prayers, maybe you have some questions. Maybe you want to study. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you need to get back in a right relationship with God because you hadn't been walking right with Him. We want you to know we love you, we support you, and we're here for you. If there's any way we can serve you now, you're welcome to come forward as we